who don't know me, my name is Jacob Salas. I'm the middle school pastor here at Camarillo Community Church and the second best looking Hispanic here on staff. But today isn't about me and it's not even about the first best looking Hispanic on staff, but it's about Jesus, the life that he lived and the death that he went through for our sakes. Today we remember the same Jesus who 2000 years ago walked on this earth who ate, he drank, he slept, he got tired, he laughed. He taught the masses. He was seen as teacher and prophet. He did miracles. He stood on water. 
He spoke to the waves and the wind and they obeyed him. This same Jesus, who the Bible says was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This Jesus, the God-man, who not only lived a life here on earth, but died on a cross for our, for our sakes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26 says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so you may have guessed it, but we're, we're taking part in Holy Communion today. We have tasteless wafers and small cups of grape juice. But even more than that, we have a symbolic token for us to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're about to sing two songs. We want to encourage you guys to continue in worship. But as we do, feel free to come forward, whether that be as an individual or maybe as your family, to come down, to take the communion cup, and to remember what Jesus has done for us. This life that he, that he had given so that we could have life in him. Let's pray today, church. Lord, we thank you, God, that you came down for us. Your word says that though you were equal with God, you thought equality with God something not to be grasped to, but you emptied yourself. You gave yourself for our sakes, Lord. And this is not a small thing. No, Lord, this is, the, this is the biggest piece of news in all the earth. And Lord, as we take this cup, Lord, us as believers, that we would remember the sacrifice that you had given for us and that we would look forward to the eternity that we have in you, glorifying and worshiping you forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Gathered at the highest throne 
Our vision and heart here at Camarillo Community Church is to see the increasing number of people who live in our area to know and follow Jesus Christ. The challenge before us is how do we take our legacy of 60 years of successful gospel ministry and how do we pull that forward to the next generation? That's why we've embarked on what we're calling the Welcome Project. I hope that you'll take this time and join us in excitement and prayerful expectation as to what God and how God might use you for this endeavor. We met here at church. We've almost been married 14 years. I serve in children's ministry in our video venue, uh, really wherever they need help, and also in Iwana. And I started coming in 2001. Um, I wanted a place for the kids to get plugged in, but I also wanted a place where I could serve as well. Um, and CamCC, uh, met those needs, um, really became a place uh, that was home. And I needed a place where my children would feel comfortable and feel welcome and that they would be able to have fun learning about God. And Camp CC really met our needs. For me, I was looking for a place where I enjoyed worship, where I could serve, and um, where there were small groups, people I could get to know. In 2004, um, my family kind of fell apart. Uh, my wife decided to uh, leave and so I was a single dad with three kids um, so it was a struggle financially uh, my small group came alongside of me and and helped me emotionally it was a great time with them I was a single guy with a bunch of married couples but they really supported me um, and the church helped financially as well too I went to the food pantry for several months before I could get back on my feet but through that all um, I remained faithful in giving I know that the Lord provides everything that we have and everything that I need. Um, when I was a teenager, I would give a little bit, but it never really just stood out as something, a practice that I needed to do. We worship through music. We can also worship through our giving, and God just really laid it on my heart. So it was when I was a single mom that I really started trusting Him with our finances, and then we ended up trusting Him together as after we got married. That was a challenge as well, too, but we combined our finances, and we made it a priority to us to put God first. And so we've always done that. And God's proven faithful over and over again and has blessed us um, immensely over the years. And we feel blessed then to be able to give back um, to the church. So when the Welcome Project came up, I got excited about what the Lord could do uh, for the church and how it was gonna be a sacrifice and a stretch for us as well. But we, we talked and we prayed about it and we came up with a number that we're excited about and it is gonna be a stretch. But I know that God's faithful and he'll provide and, and we're excited about that. When people come to church, I know that they're gonna hear an awesome worship set with Kelly. I know that they're gonna hear uh, the word of God preached by Dave. Now that we're gonna have an expanded lobby and a patio, people are gonna feel welcome to hang out here, spend time become a family. So I'm really excited about the Welcome Project and the future of our church. What's been really exciting is just seeing how our doors have opened up to the outside world. The pandemic really offered more people to come and sit outside and enjoy worship. Now we have our video venue. And for someone like me who's had some physical issues that I need to, you know, 
be outside or be in the video venue, it's an alternative. The great thing is seeing families outside, seeing children running around, seeing people hanging out after church and not just going home right away. We can make it exciting inside, uh, fresh and new, but outside really opens it up and makes it like home. I think now is the time for us to join God in the work He's doing here at CanCC. It doesn't only affect me and my husband, it affects children, it affects all generations, truly, for our doors to be open to everybody. I have to say we're really excited about this Welcome Project initiative. Would you please prayerfully consider how God might be calling you to give above and beyond your normal gifts to this endeavor? As you notice in your envelope that you've received in the top right hand corner, it gives the option to give an enclosed gift for today. We're asking everyone to give a one-time gift at the beginning of the project and then to also consider what they might be able to do above and beyond their normal gifts on a monthly level for 36 months as well. So if you take, for example, my gift enclosed today, let's say it's $1,000, and then I, in addition to that, I think I can give another $100 a month. When you added up the 36 months together, that'd be $3,600 plus the $1,000 of the initial gift. My total commitment to the Welcome Project would be $4,600. Please consider how God might be calling you and your family to be used in this endeavor and return this envelope to us anytime within the next four weeks. Well, good morning. Welcome to Camriel Community Church. If you're new to us and I'm new to you, welcome. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're just excited you're with us. If you're new to us, it's a great season to join us because we're dreaming about the future, and we're talking about what the future might look like. And so that's a very exciting thing to be a part of. If you're online today, we're glad you joined us. If you're in our video venue, welcome to you too. We are so excited at moving forward with this welcome project, and we've taken four weeks to just kind of highlight together with that. Now, with that in mind, I want to remind you that on November 16th, uh, we want you to come back after work on November 16th. We're going to do a worship night. Uh, we'll have, you know, we want to pack the place out. It's going to be awesome, wonderful time to worship together. There will be a targeted time in the middle of that where we will pray together for the Welcome Project and for our church. So we'd love for you to be there, pray with us, and uh, sing with us as we worship God together. If you haven't made one of these worship nights yet, I think you'll be blessed to come big time. We're also doing some new that we haven't done before. And that is to say that we're going to have a company that will cater tacos here beforehand. So two hours before the worship night, you can come here, have tacos with your family. It's like a $5 taco plate. I think you get like four or five tacos. You can switch it out for a quesadilla if you want for your kids or whatever. I'm telling you, you can't even drive to Somos right now and get a taco for that price. And we're going to have it here on November 16th. So you come here, eat your tacos. Uh, it, it, you know, if you're still eating a taco and the, the worship night has started, we'll take the taco out of your hand and throw it away. No, we won't do that. But I'm just saying, get it early, two hours prior, you know, you bring a blanket, eat on the grass, eat with your family, bring some chairs, have a good time. Uh, that's November 16th. We are super excited about having that and then having you guys here afterwards as well to worship and pray for our church together. So 
Make sure you write that down. Now, many of you know that today we're going to be announcing, uh, you know, what our elders, our pastors, our staff, and leaders of this church have committed to the Welcome Project. Kind of like a, we, we let them know about it a little earlier. They delivered, they prayed, and then they kind of gave commitments both on a one-time gift and then also 36-month commitment for the next three years. And we were going to kind of celebrate that together and share what that number is so we go, wow, this is really doable and really possible, right? And so how many came excited to hear that number? Yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah, exactly. I want to know what that is. And, and I'm going to do that. I'm very excited to announce to you today at the end of the message what that number is. That's called a hook, baby. And so you got to listen the whole time and, uh, and we'll get to that at the very, very end. If you don't listen good, then I'll push it back to next week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm funny, so you can laugh. Uh, anyway, so we'll do that later today, and, uh, and don't worry, I promise you by the end of the message, we will definitely do that. But for today, let's get started. I think I want to start this way. Uh, he's about 15 years old, and he, he's enjoying his first experience in Protestant church life that he's ever had in his life. I mean, he's been to church before, but nothing like this. Uh, he's used to, like, quiet reverence only. Check your personality at the door. Less than engaging presentations. Ritualistic offerings that often trigger like an inner boredom, like a tranquilized state while you're at church. But this church is different. The people said amen. They'd laugh at jokes. They'd bring their Bibles and write in them. Like they were attentive to the teaching. They, 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 they wanted to grow spiritually. Like they believed that something was happening inside of them when they went to church. They raised their hands in worship. You might think this was kind of a cultural shock for this kid, and it was. But there was something about it that he loved. There's something about it that he enjoyed. There was other, one other prominent distinctive of this church. Every time you walked in, you'd walk past this huge model in the middle of the lobby or the foyer. When you walked out, you'd walk by it again. It was one of those architectural cardboard church building models. And it symbolically said to the church, we have vision, we're going somewhere together. People would marvel at it and wonderment. What would life be like when that building's built? What would church like be like once that building is built? Children would stare at the model for long periods of time trying to understand how a, a place that's encompassed by a mound of dirt could one day possibly turn into this monstrosity of a building. Visitors would consider as they're joining, man, there's an added bonus to joining this church. This church is going somewhere. It's doing something. I want to be a part of an organization that's going somewhere. All of them had one thing in common. They were very proud to be part of our church. I don't know about you, but that was my experience when I was a kid. I was 15 years old. I didn't grow up in church, but the church exposure that I did have was very traditional, kind of a, 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 um, a liturgical kind of experience. And then I went to the Protestant church, and, and I saw a lot different, a lot different ambiance. And it was amazing to me. I couldn't believe how people would take the Bible and they'd write in their Bibles and they highlight them. I thought that was wrong. Like it was a sin. You can't touch that thing. And, but they, they were diving in and they were learning something from it. It's not something that you put on the pedestal and, and pray that makes your house holy, but it was like something that could be involved in your life and change you from the inside out. It was such a different experience for me. And I remember walking in and out of this church as my new church exposure to Protestantism. And I'd see this beautiful model, big building. And the kids, we would all stare at it and go, really? Are really going to build that? One of the things that we is that, that church is going to have an elevator. Like there's three floors and there's an elevator in it. Like, you believe this? Really? And all the kids would marvel out and people would leave and they'd come and center right there. Could this really happen? 
And it developed a lot of momentum and excitement for the church, whether you were there and you're proud of your church, uh, building a building because it's going to be our church, or whether you're a visitor going, man, I can't wait till this happens. Man, this is great to see that churches are doing something rather than just being there. They're actually trying to go somewhere. Everybody was excited about their church or the future of what would be their church. And this is kind of the thing that we're trying to reproduce as we get into the Welcome Project ourselves. In fact, many of you were here 20 years ago when you built this building. You might have felt the same feelings. We're trying to reproduce that momentum and that feeling inside. This is why we have pictures on easels, booklets, videos, PowerPoint presentations, all for the Welcome Project, trying to develop like, wow, we're going somewhere. This is fun. This is great. Look what we're trying to do for our God. And today we'll be looking at two passages uh, that, that look at how a project of this nature that focuses in on the house of God, how that is appropriate, how that's biblically appropriate. Uh, how, we have, how have we seen this in the past, and what is the common denominator? What is the biblical precedent set before us, and how are we invited to respond? What was it like in the Old Testament when they built the tabernacle and the temple? How was it financed? And what can we learn from God's methodology? And so that's where we're going today. But before we jump on into that, I want to uh, show you some pictures that I promised you last week. If you weren't here last week, it's okay. Go online, check out the pictures because you can see what's going to happen to our lobby, and it's really kind of awesome. I said last week that I'll focus on the lobby for the first week, and then this week I'll focus on what we're doing outside on the patio. So if you missed that, make sure you check that out online. Right now, we're going to take a look at what's going to happen to the patio if God would give us his favor. Let's look at these pictures together. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked about how we went to our elders first, and the elders uh, kind of had this team. We called them the dream team, and they came together and worked together with an architect. We went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and we came up with these drawings. And, and one thing that the dream team came up to us was, you know what? We really need to increase our curb appeal. If you look at the curb appeal right now and go stand in, in, in the spot where you could see this, you would not see this, obviously. This just says, wow, how beautiful is that? You can notice on the left-hand side, there is a fireplace there. I want to go into a next picture where you can see that fireplace from the side, and you'll see that, uh, that beautiful fireplace. I want you to notice the, the, the tile work there. If you remember last week when we showed you the inside of the building, the stairwells will have that same tile work in there, so they're marrying the outside with the inside, so it makes sense. We'll, we'll zoom in a little closer, and you'll see that there's people sitting on each side of this fireplace. Uh, we have people on one side and the other side. You can imagine family staying together after church, kind of talking together there. You can imagine on Thursday nights, Awana kids making, uh, reciting their verses together. On Friday nights, junior high, a small group there. Wednesday nights, high school, small group there. Uh, all with the ability to turn on a fire, with ambiance. Can you imagine Sunday evenings? Where do we go? Do we go to, do we go, you know, Starbucks to meet? Why don't we go meet at the church at the nice fireplace there, you know, type of thing. And, and, and so really we wanted a place where people could sit and stay and hang out. Right now we feel like our, 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 our campus says, come and go. <laughs> There's no place for you to sit. And so uh, we raised our gaze of hospitality, and now we want people to be able to stick around. And so you see a beautiful fireplace there where you can have almost like a, a living room setting where people can sit on each side. On the opposite side of the patio, there's another fire pit. And again, the tile work is very similar, so it marries both power places together with the inside of our building. And on this one, you see three sides of places sit. So now you have two or three families can sit together. Again, a Bible study can happen there. Sunday morning, Sunday evenings, just a place. We wanted to have like places where you can congregate together, hang out, eat a donut together, have a coffee, and, and have a place where you can reminisce on how, what God's doing in your life together. And so we wanted to marry those things into the concept. I want you to look at the patio now from the shade structures. 
these shade structures uh, introduce kind of a new theme to our, to our overall artistic look, and that is dark beams. Uh, dark, we, we needed something to change up the whiteness that we have around here. And so we had some of these dark beams that marry with that front door that you see it's, it's faux, it looks like wood, it's faux wood, but it carries that dark beam look. And then also in the lobby, if you were here last week, we have faux beams that will marry that into the building as well. And so what we did is we said, you know, let's get, uh, you know, some shade structures that will have the same kind of, uh, you know, uh, Spanish tile on top of the roof that the building has. And then and we introduced these kind of a dark, uh, dark, uh, pieces of wood. Now, if you notice those beams, they don't go all the way to the ground dark. They have like this little stucco uh, box around the bottom, and there's a little ledge, almost looks like a little granite piece there. That is actually very strategically done. We did that so that when you have a coffee, you can sit down and talk to somebody and put your coffee down right there. So every one of these posts, there's about six posts on each. So there's 12 different spots where you can sit down and have a conversation with somebody and not feel the need to rush out and get out of here. There's a place where you can put your coffee cup. Now, we're going to need somebody to volunteer and pick up all those trash coffee cups every Sunday, but I know one of you in this room will do that for us. And so here you have, you know, beautiful, uh, you know, kind of shade structures. There's some light pendants in between each. And I want to kind of zone in on one of these. And you can see that there's people sitting there. We can put tables underneath there, chairs underneath there. Again, places where people can congregate. But really on Sunday mornings, this is going to be like ministry central. Uh, each one of those cubbies, if you imagine, each one of those will have a place where a ministry can highlight what they're doing. So you can imagine that first place where those people are sitting, uh, maybe that's our, our, our hospitality area, and that stays the same every week. But the one behind it, um, it maybe a women's ministry is trying to take sign-ups, and so there's a banner that goes across as women's ministry, or men's ministry, or, or children's ministry, whatever. And then they can, they can book a spot on our patio, and then we can say from in here, hey, go out to the patio today and look at the, look, find the banner that says men's ministry, and you can sign up for the men's retreat type of thing. That'll be available as well. So each one of those will be kind of ministry designated designated as well. We'll flip the side and we'll see another picture on the other side. It's the beauty of it. Again, two more spots where we can do ministry designated areas or we can have people uh, kind of mingling together in tables and chairs, uh, whatever the weekend would, would, uh, would have for us. At the very front of the house, you'll see that the, the building will have these uh, kind of faux doors again. They're not wooden. They look wooden. If you were here last week, you know that those doors will, will kind of um, slide into the archway. So there'll be a seamless entry from the outside into the inside. Now, I will say that, that the tile right there going into the building looks a little bit more pinkish than it really is. We've done a re-rendering, and I picked the wrong picture to put there because that was a little too pink for us. Uh, but that's an exciting piece of what's going to happen, too. Now, I want to get to something that uh, a lot of people have commented on that they've really enjoyed. And that is on the side of the building, we're going to be building kind of like a little jungle gym area for little ones, like three and younger. And, and the way we came to this is because we noticed that there was a lot of young families hanging out in between the two buildings. And we thought, why are these families hanging out there? Of all places in the world, there's a building there, there's a building. Why would you hang out there? So we asked them, what's going on there? Would they, you guys want to hang out there? And they said, well, we have little children that like to run off. And one side we have a building, another side we have a building, then there's a stairwell, and then there's a long route to the parking lot behind us. And so we feel like we can watch our kids, put them there, and there's kind of, they can't go too far. And as long as we stay over here, they want, they, we can catch them before they run that way. And it was just kind of a designated area where young families found it to be safer for their children. And so we thought, wow, 
Why fight against this? Let's just put a little jungle gym there with a shade structure on top of it that marries in our color of our dark wood, and maybe we'll have more young families hanging out there. If you see a young family, ask them what they're most excited about. Like last week, I asked this guy, what, what are you, I can't wait for that slide to get there as he's holding his little two-year-olds trying to run away. You know what I mean? And that's the most exciting feature. We're going to show you the back end uh, of it as well. So on the back end, you can put a table, you can put, you know, and there's a place for people to congregate. Again, we were trying to find a way, how do we find more places where people that hang out and stay together and commune together, have fellowship together, enjoy each other, rather than feeling like they got to go out to lunch and do that if they're going to be able to do that. We wanted to be able to do that on our campus as well. So if you're going to do it one side, you got to do it the other side, because how many of you know that you have to be symmetrical when it comes to stuff like this? And so on the other side, we have, symmetrically speaking, another uh, shade structure there. Uh, again, the very bottom, you'll see there, there are uh, strategically placed areas where you can put your coffee cups and whatnot, uh, so you can congregate there. There's tables and chairs there, and if you, can, if you can peer real close, you'll see that at the very end, there is a TV there. Now, we learned this from a church in Agora Hills that they do this. They just have a couple doors. They close them, they lock it, and they leave the TV up there so we don't have to set it up every week. During the pandemic, we learned that people like to go to church outside. In fact, you could be watching right now outside on our patio because you like it so much. Some people even like being their dogs, which is fine. Just don't bring them in the building. And so anyway, uh, we're going to have a permanent outside television, and then you see those speakers there that are all be kind of wired in and ready to go, very easy to open up, and then people can, if they want to go to church outside, they can go outside and, and do church together out there. And then finally, we give one more picture, another uh, kind of view of the curb appeal from the front where you can see both fireplaces and the building together. That's what we believe God's going to do. In addition to the pictures that you saw last week in the lobby, if God will give us his favor and we can raise this money together, we believe we're going to be able to do this. Now, one of the questions that comes up a lot is, when? When can this possibly happen? Now, the difficulty with that question is we still have city stuff to deal with. We still have architectural stuff to deal with, uh, a lot of those things. But they are, we are in the midst of working on those things. When we have a timeline, we would certainly come back and tell you. But I would say that it may be sooner than later. If the Lord would give us the finances to move forward, it may be sooner than later on this. And you might be surprised how quickly we could maybe turn this around. The beautiful thing about this vision is we're not building any new buildings. And so that makes it a little easier to build, and the timing becomes a little easier to do as well. So with that, uh, let's get to uh, our Bible passages. I don't usually do this, but the, the, the message title today is Sacred Space Depends on Us. Sacred space depends on us. And, and there's, a, there's a couple different ways how sacred space depends on us. And we're going to dive into that today as we look into uh, Exodus chapter 25 and 1 Chronicles 29. The overarching question today is how have the people of God typically responded to the needs of the house of God? How have we seen historically in the past, how have the people of God responded in a typical fashion as it relates to the house of God. The first thing we're going to look at is the example of the tabernacle. Let's look at the example of the tabernacle. How the people of God typically responded to the needs of the house of God? Well, let's look at how they responded as it relates to the tabernacle. For that, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 25, starting at verse 1 through verse 9. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him you shall receive a contribution for me you could highlight that you could underline that circle that for every every man whose heart moves him you shall receive a contribution for me and this is what the contribution shall this is the contribution you shall receive from them gold silver bronze blue and purple and scarlet yarns fine twined linen goat's hair 
uh, tanned ram skin. If you have a different translation, you might see uh, um, uh, sea cows or seahorses. Uh, we believe those to be dolphins, which is kind of fascinating. I'll tell you about, more about that later. Tanned ram skin, goat skin, uh, um, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, uh, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, stones for, for, for setting, uh, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And let them make a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. Let's highlight that, underline that, circle that. And let them make a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. It's actually exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, so shall you make it. We'll stop there. How have the people of God typically responded to the needs of the house of God? Well, the first thing we look at the example of the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25. And the first principle we see is that they received a gift from everyone who had a heart who was moved to give. Uh, you receive a gift by everybody who has a heart who was moved by God, prompted by God to give. This wasn't a, a, a force anything. This wasn't a, we don't force you to do anything. It's not like a, like a timeshare presentation where, where if you say no, then we bring the other guy in. If you say no, then we bring his boss in. And if you say no, we, we sweeten the deal. It's like, none of that. It's not, it's not a hard sales pitch. It's just, hey, here's what we're doing. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of it and God moves you, you, you can be a part of it. It's very willingly, voluntarily, you bring it to the people and let God prompt them. And if they are prompted, they'll give. And apparently, the people of God felt so moved in Exodus chapter 25 that they give the most precious of gifts towards this whole endeavor. They gave gold, silver, bronze, the most precious of resources. They gave arcasia wood. Arcasia wood was a very, very dark wood that, that was very expensive because it wouldn't fall victim to wood-eating insects. And so because it wouldn't fall victim to wood-eating insects, it would last longer, it was more expensive, and they wanted the best for their God. And so they said, we're going to give arcasia wood. Uh, the finest linens, they knew something about the finest linens because they were uh, encaptured by Egypt for a long time. These things would have to be imported. We're willing to buy the finest linens and bring them. We'll buy them from Egypt. We'll import them. But we want them in the house of God. Now, my favorite, the sea cows, probably dolphins. I did some more research on this, uh, and they, we believe them probably be dolphins that were in the Red Sea. And so you could take the hides of these dolphins, you can tan them, and they were darkened and used as decorations. Now, I, you know, this is this is tickled me. I thought it was funny because I hear I've read the whole Bible and I've been to seminary all these years. I never found dolphins in the Bible. And dolphins are like my favorite animal. And now I found them in the Bible. And dolphins are like related to, you know, killer whales because this is a bigger dolphin. And I love killer whales. And so, isn't that awesome? Found them in the Bible. All right, it has nothing to do with anything, but it made me feel really good about myself. All right. So anyway, they would take the finest of these, uh, you know, the hides of these sea cows or these dolphins, and they would use them for decoration in the temple of God. How dope is that? That is so cool. All right, and then they, they uh, dye. So what's the deal with the dye? They would have dye for yarns. Now listen, these dyes, are, it's not like today where we can go to Michael's or, 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 you know, Hobby Lobby and get a dye and dye the color of your yarn. No, this is, this is a much more uh, intense process. If you wanted blue dye, you were going to derive it from the dye of a jellyfish. And then you're going to put that on to yarn until you have enough to be able to do whatever you want to do with the yarn. If you were going to come up with purple dye, you're going to derive that from the secretion gland of a myric snail. If you're going to get red and scarlet dye, you're going to have to derive that from either tree bark or plant juices or the eggs and bodies of worms. That's how you would get these colors. 
And this was very expensive material because of how hard it was to get the color to come out. Then there's the ephod, which is the idea that they attach gemstones to the breastplate of the priest in, in their outer garments. I kind of like that one. They made sure that their pastors had bling, you know. No, no, no part of the Welcome Project is me getting any kind of bling. So just, but anyway, the point is they spared no expense for their God. They viewed it as the opportunity to say, this is where God is going to be. This is where his presence is going to be. We want to spare no expense for our God. I got to tell you, like I'm a giver. My wife and I, 25 years now, we've been living on 90% of our income. It's just been a, it's just been a habit. It's not even hard anymore. We just go for it and, and do that and give, the, give 10% to the Lord. But I look at this, uh, I get convicted of this. Like they literally had no limits. You feel me? Like I have limits. Like Lord, don't ask for 89. I'm at 90. I'm good, you know. And they, they, they had no limits. They're like, we're going to give God our very best. Why? Because they viewed it as a sanctuary for God. Second principle, take the gift and make God a sanctuary that he might dwell in their midst. What he was saying, God, to his people in the Old Testament was just like you living in tents, I'm going to dwell in a tent too. Just like you're in tents, I'm going to be in a tent too. But my tent's not going to be in a regular tent. It's going to be a tent of royalty. And they wanted to make sure that it was fitting of their God to dwell inside of it. You know, we often think of the tabernacle, the temple in the Old Testament as a place that was invented so that where people could bring their sacrifices to God. But really, it may be more suitable to think of it this way. Sacrifices were invented to be the means by which they would maintain the presence of God in their tabernacle and their temple. It wasn't that we invented that spot so you can sacrifice. No, sacrifices were invented so we can maintain the presence of God, the holiness of God in the temple and in the midst of the tabernacle. They were viewing it as a sanctuary, a, a holy place, a place that was set apart. Why? Because God was going to reside in it. Now, in our New, New Testament understanding, we understand that God resides inside of us. If you're a believer in Christ, you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit resides inside of you. And so he resides inside of us individually, but he also resides inside of us corporately, collectively, in community as well. Uh, there's a special uh, presence of God when we come together in worship. This is why I would love for you to be a part of our, our, our worship night, because there's going to be a special presence of God there. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He has to be everywhere. But he's specially invited in situations where he's being worshipped, where we're doing communion, where the body gets together, and it's not just individual temples, it's the collective temples of God coming together in one holy temple kind of thing. There is something special about when we gather together. That's why it says where two or three are gathered, there am I, right? Uh, that's why we have the body paradigm in 1 Corinthians. The, the, the idea of taking communion needs to be done together in community because of that. He resides in us individually, but he also resides in us collectively. And they had this idea that they were building a place for God to reside, and they wanted it to be beautiful. They wanted it to represent their God. Well, let's take a look at the example of building the temple. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll continue looking at this precedent of the Old Testament on how the people of God typically responded to the needs of the house of God, looking at the example of the temple. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. It says this, And now David, the king, said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. 
For the palace, speaking of the temple, will not be for man, but for the Lord God. You can highlight that, underline that, uh, uh, circle it. The palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. And so I have provided for the house of my God, this is David speaking, so as far as I was able, the gold for the gold things, the silver for the silver, for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, and besides great quantities, quantities of onyx and stones for setting and uh, uh, antimony, uh, colored stones, and all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, you can love how he says that. You can highlight that, circle out the holy house. I have a treasure of my own gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of God, I give it to the house of God. 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the house. Can you imagine that? Imagine that every wall in your house being overlaid with silver. That's what we're talking about here. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, the gold for the gold things, the silver for the silver things, who then will, uh, who will, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Who will join me? This is what I'm doing. Who's going to join me in consecrating himself willfully today to the Lord? In giving to this endeavor. Verse 6, Then the leaders of the fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. And they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derelicts of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord and the care of Jehiel, the, uh, the Gershonite. And then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. And with a whole heart, they had offered freely to the Lord. I love that. You could circle that. In fact, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about how the, we went to the leaders of the church. And who, wants to be, who wants to go before our church and, and, and say we're, we're devoted to this? And then hopefully at the very end of it, we're going to rejoice together that willfully people gave and that this is possible together. How have the people of God typically responded to the needs of the house of God? When we look at the example of the temple, number one, the first principle we see here is that David viewed it as not about what was being built, but who was being built for. You can write that down if you want to. It wasn't about, for David, it wasn't about what was being built. It was who was, be, who was it being built for. And sometimes we can miss this. And, and who's building it? And, 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 and what's being built? And why did we choose that? And how about who is it being built for? That was his greatest motivation in the whole thing. It's a great discipline. Second principle, we see that he, he gave to express his devotion to God. I, I, I want to give. Out of my own treasuries, I'll give. In fact, 100 tons of gold was given. 250 tons of silver was given for this project in the Old Testament. Principle number three, this type of generosity seems to be so contagious that the people and their leaders started giving willfully as well. The key words here are freely, willfully, just like the Exodus passage. Nobody's forcing anybody to do anything. Does anybody want to be involved in this wonderful project of making sure the house of God is taken care of? Well, we got to get to the big idea so I can come back and share with you what the leaders of our church have committed to the Welcome Project. Hopefully it'll be encouragement to all of us to see that this is very, very possible. And the big idea is this. Biblically speaking, believers invested both in the house of God and the mission of God. Biblically speaking, believers invested not only in the mission of God, 
but they also invited, they also invested in the, in the house of God. We see that from the tabernacle to the, to the temple. And, and I say that because sometimes we can get this idea, well, I would give to this endeavor because it does good to the world, but I don't know that I want to give to a building. Well, you got to understand that the two can kind of be intertwined. And that's, that, that's the way David saw it. That's the way they saw in the Old Testament. Biblically speaking, believers invested both in the house of God and the mission of God. The two can be one and the same. It can be a both and. It doesn't have to be an either or in that sense. The mission of God, for certainly we see this in the Old Testament. Hey, if you're a farmer and you're grazing your crops, do not harvest the crops on the corners of your fields. Leave those there for people who are poor to come by and they can graze from those crops. That would be, you have a responsibility to, 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 to fund and underwrite and, and be um, excited about helping the mission of God and helping the poor and the lowly. At the same time, the house of God, we see here, David saying, I'm going to give my best, the most precious of metals. Why? Because it's God's house. And I want it to be taken care of and look like God's house should look like. Biblically speaking, believers invest both in the house of God and the mission of God. And I want to see if I can take that a little further and kind of highlight that a little further. If you were here last week, and again, if you weren't, you can go online and watch. The very beginning of our gathering time, we had a gentleman here named James Samuel. James Samuel is our missionary to India. Uh, I'll give you some background on him. We came to know James Samuel in about 2015, our church did, uh, because our church did this big, huge uh, discipleship conference here where we invited pastors from all over the world. And I believe, this is before I was here, our church raised about $100,000 to bring people from all over the world to come here to be trained on a discipleship methodology that they could take back to their countries. Well, James was one of those who came by. We came to know James because we had a wonderful lady in our church who had been married to a pastor for years in Ventura, had been over to see his ministry in India several times, and she said, oh, we're doing this thing. We got to bring James. And so that's how we found James. We invited him over. We paid for his way to be here. And then we introduced him to a concept of discipleship that he had not seen or been trained in. He took that methodology, went back to India, northern part of India, and continued to use it all these years. Some eight years later now, he's still doing this discipleship methodology that we trained him. In 2015, his church was about 20 people. Today, it's about 80 people. Now you go, well, that's quadruple, but in eight years ago, I would have expected more. You might not have expected more if you know more about northern India. You see, northern India is a very militant place. Ironically enough, James was born in southern India, which is very religiously open and very religiously free. You can be Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever you want to be there, and you'll be fine. Nobody's going to bother you. But James felt called to serve God in the north. And in the north, it's the opposite. If you are Muslim, then you need to go to Pakistan because you're not welcome here. And if you're a Christian and you proselytize, we will persecute you because we want to be, our ideal is to have a Hindu state. We want all of India to be Hindu. And so if you're going to be here, you're not going to proselytize. And if you're going to be Muslim, you need to go to Pakistan, which is right across the border. And so that is the place where James ministers in India. And we're asking him questions as he came, and, he, and we kind of introduced him real quick to the church. He came to some growth groups. He came to some adult Bible fellowship hours, and maybe some of you guys got to hear some stories because you were in those circles. We didn't know he was coming. He just, hey, I'm going to be in town. And we're like, well, man, I'm not sure this is the best time because we're doing this whole welcome project thing, but you're our missionary, so we're going to put you on our stage and say hello to everybody and meet all the people you want, you know, type of thing. And the timing was such that it worked out this way. But we, as we're asking questions, James, tell us what it's like ministering out in India. 
He goes, well, there was an adjacent church recently where four families left their homes, went to church, and when they got back home, their houses were burnt down. Their whole crime was being Christian. And they were noticed that they were walking to church, and when they got back, their houses were burnt down. He says, um, you know, they go after, you're targeting right now house churches, and they're targeting churches that, that rent facilities. And, and you remember, it's kind of hard to hide 80 people. And so for the last four years, they've been renting facilities so they could do church. And what ends up happening is the community finds out they're Christian and that they're open to proselytizing and telling others about their faith. And then they put pressure on the landowner saying, don't you rent to Christians. And then the landowner will evict them for, for this. So four times in the last four years, he's been evicted from the property they've been doing church. So our people start asking questions. So, well, James, what can be done? What can be, you know, how could this, how could this be solved for you? He goes, well, if we owned a piece of property, I guess, and if we had a building on it and our own piece of property, then you can't put any pressure on the, on the landowners because we are the landowners, and there'd be less persecution. There'd still be persecution, but there'd be less. In northern India, if you get beat up and you call the police and say, hey, I was beat up because I was a Christian, they go, well, that's the problem. You're a Christian. They don't help you. You don't have rights. There's no way to, to fight for rights. There are no rights. So the one thing that would be helpful is have your own piece of land, you know, a structure on it. How would you use it? Oh, we'd use it every day of the week. Uh, we'd bring, we, we wouldn't just use it on Sunday for worship. We'd use it every day. We'd bring women in. We would train them on a, on a skill that they could earn money. And then those ladies would go into the villages, and they would train other women, and they would proselytize as they're going out. So we'd teach them the gospel. We'd proselytize them. We'd teach them a skill. They would go into the villages. All the women would want to know this skill because they want to be able to make money. They'd go back to their homes, tell their children, tell their, parent, uh, tell their parents, tell their husbands. And it's actually the strategy is to go through the women. And I go, that's really interesting. Why is that? Well, because, you know, men actually can be uh, spying for the government. And so you have to be very careful. But if we go through the women, we can actually get the gospel into these little towns, which all the women are like, amen, <laughs> right? And so that's their whole strategy. Wow. How much would it cost? It costs about 50000 American dollars. Get a piece of land, to get a structure. And here we are trying to raise this money for, for, for Camarillo Community Church and the Welcome Project, $1.3 million. And man, the time of this is, is man, we got we to invest in the house of God. And at the same time, we got this wonderful opportunity for the mission of God. And here our big idea is, you know, biblically speaking, believers invest both in the house of God and the mission of God. We want to do them both. And so I mentioned that to you because our elders got together yesterday and delivering over this, and we, we, we got to figure it out. We, we can't just, you know, our, our minds will just go, oh, we'll just take some money from Welcome Project and buy it. There's some legal technicalities, and you can't necessarily do things like that. So we have to figure out how we're going to do it, but we're committed to doing both. We're committed to doing, building this out, and we're committed to helping James Samuel and his church. And so we're going to build the house of God here in Camarillo because we want to reach people in Camarillo, and we're going to help James Samuel build the house of God in India. And we're going to, see that he, at the very least, gets some reprieve from all the persecution. That guy was with us last week, and I would tell you, he's like a hero in the faith to me. Just, do you remember this story? I was born and raised in southern India, where I'm free to believe whatever I want, but I feel called by God to go serve in the north, where they could kill me for my faith. Would any of you make that decision? I, I don't think I would. What an amazing man of God. Biblically speaking, believers invest in both the house of God and the mission of God. And when you invest in us, you allow us to do both. 
Well, let me get to it. Uh, we asked our uh, elders, our staff, our, our key leadership, our pastors, would you go back to your family, see how you could sacrifice? We invited some of you into some vision meetings and said, uh, what could we do together if we all sacrifice? And if you guys would be, give us your, sac- your, your, your number early so we can encourage the church. And all, this is possible, this is doable type of thing. And so I'm very encouraged to share that out of all the leadership, kind of leadership figures in our church, we've raised already over half a million dollars towards the project. In fact, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. In fact, we've raised $600,000. And that's like halfway. I mean, we're like, we're like halfway there to the 1.3. This is actually doable. We can do this. And we've been saying this line, it's not equal gifts, but it's equal sacrifice. And sacrifice can be so different with so, different, so many different people. And I remember when I was newly married, and sacrifice meant for, for me and my wife back then is like a joke right now. But it was still sacrificial, and God saw it as sacrificial. And if I didn't start, my wife and I didn't start sacrificing back then, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. And so we're asking, would you consider not equal participation? Think about equal sacrifice. What could God be calling you to do? Because biblically speaking, we know that believers over history have invested in both the house of God and the mission of God. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close out today. You know, I do get excited about drawings. I do get excited about um, silly things like little little slides for little kids and um, fireplaces and stuff. But do you know what I get more excited about? People. You know, as a 15-year-old little boy going to church, checking out Protestantism for the first time, and those are the things that caught my eye. Look how these people do things differently. They're driven to do things differently like I've ever seen before. And it's pretty cool. There's a fireplace outside. And it may have been one of the drawing factors that God would use to get me in the building, to teach me the gospel, to get me to know faith. Maybe my experience is different than most because I didn't grow up in the church. And it was these things that drew me in. And maybe people go, oh, that didn't ever draw me. My parents brought me. I understand, but that's not, how, that's not how it is for everybody. We're trying to say welcome to our church. And we live in a society and age where we're being more marginalized than ever. And so the welcome has got to be that much more louder than anything they see out there. I pray that you would deliberate prayerfully and ask the Lord what he's calling you to do in this. Again, no twisting the arms, just asking people to willfully, sacrificially, voluntarily jump on board with us. Father, we love you. And I come to these places where I pray for these things and I get intimidated and, oh my gosh, what are people going to think? And what all this, is it too gaudy? Is it too much? All these things. And then I start coming to confidence and boldness when I start realizing if you will bless it and you will bless our church and you will grow our church, then more funds will be opened up and more James Samuels of the world will get funded. That's what's going to happen. More things like that. Church planting in LA, church planting in Africa, church, all things that would glorify the gospel will get louder because you bless us. If you will do that for us and work in our hearts and our souls and bring us numerically more people, we can do more for your kingdom. Not about David Hurtado, not even about Camarillo Community Church, but for the glory of God to make your name famous. That's what we're about. And that's when I get bold. And that's when I start praying. And that's when I start shooting for the moon because you're worth it. And you deserve it. And if you will give us your blessing, we will turn back all the crowns and throw them at your feet. 
glorify you in the midst of moving through us. We ask you to do it, and we wait for it in prayerful and excitement and expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Uh, we're going to continue worshiping uh, the Lord this morning through giving, and that can be done online by going to campcc.net and click give on top of the page. You can text them out. You want to donate to 84321, or we have an offering box in the lobby. This is one of the ways we worship God. We put him first in all things, including our finances, like we've been talking about. Um, and if you're here and you're ready to turn in your welcome project, project gift uh, and pledge, the ushers will have boxes as you leave the auditorium. You can put that in, or you can take it to the welcome counter as well. Um, if you're here and you're just hearing about this for the first time, I'd encourage you to grab an envelope on your way out and take it home and pray about it and talk about it with your spouse and just ask the Lord, is this something you want me to be involved with? And if so, what should I be doing? And then bring that gift back. You know, my wife and I were here in this church when we were fundraising to build the building we're sitting in. Um, and we made a commitment and a pledge to give to that program that built this building. Um, and at the time, it was a sacrifice. Um, we were young, we were uh, young married, we had a, our son was a baby, and we didn't make a lot of money, and the amount of money we gave caused us to sacrifice, and, and it's, it was a little bit of an uncomfortable number. We're older now, we make more money, um, and we were able to give to this project as well, and we just kept that as a standard. It should be a little bit of a sacrifice. I mean, we have, uh, we've made some adjustments in our lifestyle so that we could make the commitment to the Welcome Project that we made. And it was probably the biggest gift we've ever given to anything. Um, and so what I'm saying here is that everyone's in a different place in life, and some people have the ability to give more and some not as much. But it's like we're praying for you to consider what could I do that would be a sacrifice for the Lord. And if we have 100% participation, I am 100% confident that we can reach this goal and, and do all these things for God. All right, let's check out this video before we go. Our vision and heart here at Camarillo Community Church is to see the increasing number of people who live in our area to know and follow Jesus Christ. Five years ago, Camarillo Community Church hired myself, my wife, and our children to come be the new lead pastor of our church. Since we've been here, we've done 15 community impact initiatives, 76 people have been baptized, and 113 people have made decisions for Christ. But I want to let you know something. We don't believe we're done there. We believe God wants to do so much more with our church in this community. Did you know that 71,000 people live in the Camarillo area? Many of those don't go to church. Challenge before us is how do we take our legacy of 60 years of successful gospel ministry, teaching of the word as our history, and how do we pull that forward to the next generation? You may not know this, but most churches have about a 50 to 60 year window and then the church closes. We call that a life cycle of a church. How do we go from one life cycle to another life cycle? How do we bridge the gap from what was so successful here and make it successful again? One of the ways that you can build momentum is to refresh, rebuild, kind of refresh vision on the campus. 
You may have done this in your own home life as well. You take the kitchen and you redo it. And it just refreshes the whole kitchen and makes it feel new. And then you bring new people in and they all enjoy it. I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant where they have reestablished themselves or new grand opening and people come just because they want to see the new ownership of what's done inside. Those are the kind of things that we're talking about that we believe we can provide ourselves momentum with as we refresh our campus. That's why we embarked on what we're calling the Welcome Project. And we're so excited uh, for all of us to consider how God might be calling us, challenging us to stretch a little bit more for His kingdom, for His glory. And we believe in doing so, we might get a new influx of people, people who are new to our community, buying these homes, people who are here looking for a fresh start, people who are looking for a place to raise their children in a church home. Church is not a building, it's about building people. And our facilities are just a tool for that greater vision. As our area continues to grow and increasing with people in Camarillo and really the Ventura County area, we would love to see more of those folks come to know Jesus Christ, and that's why we're doing this. I'm so excited how God will stretch my family and how what we can give and sacrifice for so that new people, new family, new children can come to know Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping that all of us together, that you'll join us in this process that as you deliberate and say, God, I'm gonna put you in my finances, I'm gonna put you in my budget so that we can do something together that we could never do apart and that we can make a dent in the kingdom of God right here in Camarillo. I hope that you'll take this time and join us in excitement and prayerful expectation as to what God and how God might use you for this endeavor. In today's message, I learned of the biblical precedent of giving to the house of the Lord and how that giving isn't in opposition to the mission of God, but rather it's in agreement with Him. If this is your first, second, or third time here, go to the, go to the welcome counter and we have a gift for you. If you're watching online and you want to make yourself known, go to camcc.net slash next steps. On November 16th, we're gonna be having a worship night and kids praise glow party. From kids kindergarten through fifth grade, they're gonna have the opportunity to have a glow party where they're gonna have games, candy, fun lights and awesome things to do. And us adults are gonna be able to stay in here and worship God together and enjoy a $5 taco meal before the worship night begins. Join us on the patio for donut and coffee and I'll see you guys next Sunday.